of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we believe can en- we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where he, it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, there will, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. For let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time to come and hear your word. Lord, to sing praises to you, uh, to pray requests to your ears, Lord. And I thank you for being the gracious and faithful God that you are, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this time to come and hear your word from this pulpit, Lord. And I ask that you would bless Pastor Doug today as he brings your word. Lord, prepare our hearts and minds to be able to receive that word. Lord, I, I pray for each and every one of us here, each and every one of us watching on online Lord, I ask that you would just bless each and every one of us today. Be with us this week as we go from here. Uh, Bless the ministry that we have, Lord, each and every one of us in our own lives. Lord, may we show those who see us your love. Lord, I ask you uh, continue to prepare us as one people, as we are uh, united with one heart, Lord, marked by your love, as we are united with one mind, Lord, marked by your mercy as we are united as one body, Lord, marked by your cross. Lord, be with us this day. We love you and we praise you. Amen. If you know this song, sing along with me. If you do not know it, Most likely we'll sing it again so you can join us on the second time through. It goes something like this. 
Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Now you all know it. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. We're coming to the end of our series of One Life Under God. This particular closing remarks are divided into two sections. We'll look at the first section this week and then on August the 2nd we'll finish our study. But this morning I I want to focus on a word that kept reoccurring as Pastor Steve read the passage of Hebrews chapter 4. And that word is God's rest. God's given us a promise of rest. Now, it's not the same as what we think it is. That rest can also refer to our inheritance. Our inheritance. As a Christian, we move a little closer and closer to glory each and every day. We're on a journey toward heaven. And once you arrive, nothing you experience prior to that will compare to the ending joy that awaits us. And so you wait eagerly for that day to arrive. But waiting for that day is not like waiting for a bus. When you wait for a bus, you stay stationary. You don't move because the bus can come at any time. And if you miss the bus, you miss where you're going. We are called to wait for the coming of Christ. But we're not supposed to stand still. We are supposed to be eagerly, as the scriptures as we'll look at in this passage, we are supposed to be eagerly pursuing the righteousness of God. And so the road to glory is paved with a purpose. And that purpose has been planted within us. And Peter tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 8. Where it says in verse 3 that everything that we need to live the godly life has already been given to us. We looked at that last week as we called it the 
the wonderful, incorruptible seed that has been planted in us. We're to develop that seed. It's almost like a, a, a mom, an expectant mom, inside of her womb is a child. And I'm going to go against the Supreme Court. It's not a thing. It's not a mass. It's a baby. It's a child. Okay, enough said. And that baby and that child is getting nourished through the system of the mother in order for that child to grow. And then when that child is finally conceived and brought into this world, it continues to eat you out of house and home. And suck all your oxygen out of your house. We're supposed to eat God out of house and home. I know that sounds strange to you. How can you do that? He's the incomparable God. No one, you, you can't. But he's just saying, come to the table. Eat all you want. And it's a five-course meal. Right in here. It's our journey that we're talking about. And so when we come to Hebrews chapter 4, we find ourselves stumbling over what is the writer of Hebrews trying to communicate to us. And it's this. We have a promised rest. A rest that God wants us to anticipate and then finally enjoy. But along the way, he's called us to do things. What we need to do in just a few minutes is we need to go back and reiterate a little bit of Old Testament history. Because that's what the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4, that's what he's doing. He's taking us back and reminding us of what happened to the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 12, the, the nation of Israel was given strict instruction of a day that was coming. It's called the Passover day. Where they were to apply the blood of a spotless lamb on the top doorpost and on the two sides. And when the, and when the death angel came through Egypt that day, Everyone in that house, the firstborn, would be safe. That was their day of redemption. And redemption means nothing more than this. The payment to get taken out of sin. And that's what Egypt is focused on throughout scriptures. Egypt is the land of sin. And so when Israel got redeemed, it came out of that and began to journey toward God's promised rest. In the meantime, they cross through what is called the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God showed his mighty power. God gave to them instances of proof of who he is and what he will do. It began at the Red Sea. And as God divided it, and they walked through on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, God closed it up. It was there on the other side that Moses' sister began to sing a song 
that rang in the ears of everyone that was there is that we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then they began to journey. God provided for them manna. And here's a Hebrew understanding of what manna means. What is it? You already are ten times more intelligent in the Hebrew than when you were when you first came in. Manna means, what is it? It was God's provision from heaven. And they, he kept feeding them all the way along. And then they'd come to a place where they needed water. And Moses, under the direction of God, brought water from stones. They saw how God protected them from enemies. And then they brought him all, they brought him all the way to the entrance of the promised land. And then they said, no, no. What's even more amazing as it is recorded for us in Numbers chapter 12. Moses sent in 12 spies to that land. And they came out of that land the scriptures tells us that the clusters of grapes were that big that two men had to carry them. It was a land that was described as flowing with milk and honey. But it was a land also that they said is filled with giants. We can't go in. Ten said we can't. Joshua and Caleb said we can because they depended upon the Lord their God. And yet God in his anger, in his wrath, says they will not enter my rest. And so they wandered for 40 years. And if you were, the, if you were 20 years old and older, everyone 19 and younger waited for you to die so they could go into the promised land. God has still given us a promise of rest, but it's described for us here in Hebrews chapter 4 under four different headings. Let me give you those headings. First of all, our rest or our inheritance means ownership. Ownership. You'll notice in verse 1, as it is saying that, therefore, since the promises to enter his rests, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. Ownership. The key word here, as we've been saying, is rest. For the Jews, God's rest would have achieved when they would enter the land of Canaan and took ownership of their inheritance. So God's rest was the full realization of his inheritance. Now we need to understand that when the writer here is talking about coming short of God's rest, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about 
the Israelites, that they were already redeemed from the land of sin. And so that coordinates with us today that though they had to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, we too have been set free from the land of sin by the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so this journey that we are on is on to ownership of a promise that God has given to us. You can call it heaven. Because Jesus said, where I am, there you're going to be also. I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. Don't stop at the bus stop. Be busy. Take ownership of your inheritance. Be ready to walk through the gates of glory. Be equipped in order that, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and when all that we have, we lay on an altar. And then God supplies it with fire and it burns up the wood, hay, and stubble. And that which is gold, silver, and precious stones remains. Make sure that you take ownership of that in order to give it back to Jesus Christ. So that means there can be Christians Sadly, there can be Christians who've been set free from spiritual bondage, but who have never enjoyed the full rights and privileges. They say no to God. They could have inherited in this life things that they can give back to the Savior in the kingdom. But they said no. Let me give you an example about what I mean by that. If you don't pray, there are certain things that you will never get from God because you didn't ask. God's word tells us you have not because you what? Ask not. But a Christian who prays will enjoy the privileges of answered prayer as God opens his storehouse of blessings. And God is going to say to many believers in heaven, let me show you what you could have had if you would have only asked. So what do we need to do? Ownership. First, we need to value it. When we lived in Anvil, my wife was busy doing housework, as she usually always is, picking up after me. But she noticed that her, her diamond came up missing. And she had me on my hands and knees looking for that diamond. 
Back in 1974, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, that diamond only cost me $183. But to her, it was worth millions. It wasn't until our nephew came to our house, Nancy began to describe of what she was doing, where she thought it fell and couldn't find it. And he looked underneath the dishwasher that we had. There was a little crease there, and he said, ah, there it is. She got that back on her finger, and the Wigan home once again sang with joy. (laughs) Would you value heaven like that? The children of Israel got lazy because everything they needed, God provided. Then when they got to the gate of the promised land, their inheritance, God said, now you go in and take it. And they were saying, no, I don't want to take anything. I want you, God, to take care of me. And they lost out. They were satisfied with the crumbs from the table. But what God had ready for them was a full-pledged feast. They didn't cherish it. First thing about our inheritance is it means ownership, to take ownership of it. Secondly, The greatness of our inheritance is designed for those who will finish. Look at verse 2. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard the truth. It says good news was preached to them. Now, before we get all shook up here, let me tell you, that wasn't good news about going to heaven. That was good news about what waited for them in the promised land. They saw the grapes. They heard about the milk and honey. That was the good news. But it wasn't mixed with something. Two individuals said, God can do it. Joshua and Caleb. They were the only old people that made it through. But the other ten said, God can't do it. They finished. They did not finish. Numbers 14 tells us that God judged them and would not allow them to enter into his rest, into his place of promise, into his, their inheritance. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, which we just read, means that the, it says that the people did not profit from the good news of the inheritance. They refused to believe. 
So what does it mean to enter into God's rest? Notice how the writer of the Hebrews applies the situation of the Old Testament to us Christians today. Notice what verse 3 and five, through 5 say. For we who have believed enter the rest and keeping what he has said. So I swore my anger, they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the word for somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in that passage, he says, they will enter my, they will never enter my rest. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God rest? The writer of Hebrews goes back again to the very beginning of Genesis. Where in chapters 1 and 2, God is involved in his creativeness. And it says on the seventh day, God rested. It wasn't that God needed to rest because he was tired. He stopped because his work was finished. His work was finished. So important was that, that even the Israelites adopted that into their law, that on the seventh day, we will rest. In other words, their six days prior, their work had to be finished so that they could rest on the seventh day. Our work isn't finished yet. We got stuff we still have to do. We have to finish our work. Maybe sometimes we thought about when we show up to God in heaven, we can say, look what I did. But God very, may very well say, but look what I wanted you to do. It's for finishers. I don't run anymore, but I used to run cross country. I used to run track. And the one issue that our track coach and cross country coach made sure we understood as runners is you never look at your feet when you run. You focus on that which is ahead. In Hebrews chapter 12, when we enter into this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ, it says we enter a race. And we are to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, who ultimately is going to be at the finish line. And he's saying, come on, come on home. Enter thou into my rest it's for finishers our inheritance and the amount of our inheritance is dependent upon if we keep pursuing what God wants us to do we raise third thing that it speaks of in this passage is this is that there is a reward our inheritance 
is a reward. Verses 6 through 8, I won't, I won't read them for you, but it is a reward for obedience. Obedience. The writer goes back to the first generation of the Israelites and reminds us that they failed to enter God's rest because of unbelief. And then he mentions Joshua, Moses, who's Moses' successor, and his leadership of the nation. Joshua now is the leader of the second generation of Israelites. And he takes them into the promised land. And that generation is now to face Jericho. When you have time, I encourage you, go back to, Jer- go back to Joshua chapter 5 and read the account. When you get to verse 13, you'll see Joshua standing by himself. He's on a hill and he's looking at Jericho. And I wonder if what crosses his mind is what may cross your mind when you meet your Jericho, which is how are we going to be able to beat that? And he looks to his right. He thought he was alone, but he looks to his right. And there standing is a soldier with his sword drawn. Joshua walks over to him and basically says this, are you for us or are you against us? The soldier said, wrong question. The question should be, are you for me? Because I am the captain of the Lord's army. It's a pre-incarnate, if you will, Jesus Christ standing there with his sword drawn. Then he tells Joshua, remove your shoes. Because the place that you stand on is holy ground. And it says Joshua worshipped him. I know that was not an angel. Because any angel we worship, any good angel that we worship will say, get up. You don't worship me, you worship him, Jesus. Joshua worshipped Then when he worshipped, he got the information he needed in order to be successful in destroying Jericho. They entered into their inheritance and they began to work. And God blessed them. Don't you think sometimes what God calls you from his word to do, it sounds kind of funny? I mean, let's face it, day one through day six, you only go around, walk around the, 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 the walls once. They walked around and went back to camp. Come Tuesday, walk around, went back to camp. Did that for the first six days, seventh day, seven times. What good's that going to do? We already did it six days, seven days. Seven times. Last time, horns were blown, people shouted, and a wall caved in. You see, sometimes we don't mind doing the six-day thing. 
but we cut God short. When his word tells us that this is the extent upon which you can, you can have victory over your Jericho, I'm going to let you in on the little secret. Do it all. Because there'll be a blessing afterwards. May not look like it. Day one through six may not, nothing's changed. But on day seven, that's when the walls come down. Sometimes we want to do it our way. And we'll fail. But if we do it God's way, walls will tumble down. That means this inheritance is something that we need to obey our God. Because it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, it says, Whatsoever you do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Understand who holds our, our inheritance. Old song comes to my mind. Work for the night is coming. Because there comes a time when our work is done. The last thing is this. Is that our inheritance is going to be evaluated. Our inheritance is going to be evaluated. Ownership. Finish the race. Going to be judged. Here it is. It's going to be evaluated. You'll notice in verse 12 and 13. That we're going to be evaluated by the word of God. For the word of God is powerful. And mightier than any two-edged sword. And it digs deep. That it divides the very soul. Cuts to the bone. Reminds us. Of who we are. In the light of who Jesus Christ is. We're going to be evaluated. When we allow the word of God to judge us here. It's better than there in fact it's better to listen now than to have to be told later it's better to obey now than to lose out later that's why we need the word of god the two-edged sword but you might be saying well i understand this but I see my shortcomings and I need help. Guess what? You got it. Because the chapter finishes in verses 14 through 16 that we have a high priest that we can come to. He knows. He's suffered for you. He understands the life you live. In fact, you'll notice two words. In these verses, one is throne and the other is grace. In fact, it's called the throne of grace. But the word throne means that Jesus is king. 
And grace means he's a benevolent king. Throne means he's sovereign. Grace means he cares. Throne means he can do anything. Grace means he wants to do something for you. I know we're weak and frail. That's why we had, that's why we sang that first song. I know I'm weak and I'm frail. But I have a king who sits on a throne, who's got a heaven full of grace. And what he's telling us is finish the race, finish your course. So dynamic, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote, I have finished my course. I have fought the good fight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day. It's called inheritance. And what's so neat about it is that through his grace, we have access to the throne. And he'll give us grace to finish our course. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's through the finished work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we come and say thank you. We know that which awaits us. The wonder and the glory of our inheritance. An inheritance that you call heaven. It's an inheritance upon which depends upon what we do here on earth. We may be an individual who may know you as Savior and trusted you as Savior, but we may have nothing to lay at your feet because we didn't work. I trust there'll be more of us who have spent our lives and giving you the glory by working for your kingdom, telling people about yourself, praying for one another, encouraging one another, living according to the word of God, all for the glory of the name of Christ our Savior. It is these who will find their inheritance to be great. Then we just give them to you. Oh God, may that be our passion. May that be the desire of our lives to be able to lay at your feet the glory that you so rightly deserve. Awaken us to this cause that as we come to the throne, we'll also find grace. And then we'll be able to run this race for the honor and glory of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.